Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, George Reuter, that's me, will be continuing our study on the book of Acts. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. Welcome to episode three, friends. If you're looking for a subtitle, this is called The Descent of the Spirit, and it revolves around Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. So you're tapping in your app till you get to Acts 2, or you're flipping in the pages till you get to Acts 2. Uh, if you're driving, please be careful. Uh, if you're not driving, well, still be careful, I suppose. Uh, let's read the first 13 verses of Acts chapter 2. Here they come. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Let's talk about the descent of the Spirit. Uh, the descent of the Spirit. This phenomenon is in, this is new to these disciples. This is brand new to these disciples. We have heard the story a thousand times. Zion Fellowship is a charismatic church, and you are likely so familiar with it that you don't think much about what it must have been like for the Twelve. In, this was new. They were completely blindsided by what was happening. Uh, let's go back through some of the details. Uh, sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire uh, appeared to them, rested on each one of them. They began to speak in other tongues. Like, they don't have a grid for this. And yet... Also, they arguably should have known what was happening. It is worth noting that Luke has used a version of this script before. In Luke chapter 3, back in season 1, he describes the earthly ministry of Jesus beginning with the descent of the Spirit at Jesus' baptism. Came like a dove. Here, he describes the beginning of the church with the descent of the Spirit. So, you're the, you're the twelve with the others in the upper room, and this thing happens. You're, you're in the upper room, you've been praying, you've been asking God for the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then this thing happens. 
So in some ways, they were completely unprepared, and in other ways, they should absolutely have known what was going on. So let's talk for a moment about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, this topic gets a lot of play in charismatic circles. Uh, do you have to speak in tongues if you're filled with the Spirit? Was what the disciples experienced just for them, or is it also for us? Way too many questions to consider here. This is a line upon line, precept upon precept, exposition of the scripture. And frankly, the story in Acts is a narrative. We are told what happened. We are not told what should have happened or if it should have happened. The Luke, as the author, makes no value judgment on what happened. He just records, this is what happened. So, I'll let other people in other podcasts talk about whether it should have been a normative experience for every Christian in all of time. Uh, I'm just going to say the story in Acts describes that this is what happened to these believers at this time, and then you can search the scriptures for the answers to the rest of those questions. So, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we see that the disciples were filled with the Spirit and also that they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These two events are contemporaneous, but not necessarily linked. Of course, charismatics believe the events are linked. Non-charismatics generally do not believe the events are linked. In other words, charismatics believe that there was one event, the filling of the Holy Spirit, which caused them to speak in tongues. And non-charismatics generally look at this as two events. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and also they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What is important here? Well, the filling of the Holy Spirit is what's important here. Um, duh, the, it's the filling of the Spirit that's what's important. It is this filling that enabled the apostles to do what they were commissioned to do by Jesus before he ascended. Um, quoting Tom Constable, quote, Filling by or with the Spirit results in the Spirit's control or influence of the believer. See Ephesians 5, 18. The Spirit controls a believer to the degree that he fills the believer. Believers experience the Spirit's control to the extent that they yield to his will, end quote. In other words, the more of yourself that is yielded to God's Spirit, the more God's ways will control what you do. In this particular case, the control of the Spirit led them to speak in other tongues that they had not studied. Uh, William Barclay, quote, No great decision was ever taken, no important step was ever embarked upon by the early church without the guidance of the Spirit. The early church was a Spirit-guided community, end quote. And that's a big takeaway. The early church was filled with the Spirit and therefore guided by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit controlled to a great extent what the early church did, how the early church did it. So that's a thing for us to take under consideration. We talk about, fill me with your spirit, Lord. What's the outflow of that? How do we know that that has happened? Well, we know when we do the things that God would have us to do. 
We know that we are filled with the Spirit when we are doing the things we're supposed to be doing. The Holy Spirit fills believers, and as he fills them, they do the things he wants them to do. There's a measure of control that we give to God as he fills us. Now, charismatics and non-charismatics disagree on the purpose of the sign gifts like tongues. Most charismatics believe that this passage is prescriptive, meaning that it describes what ought to happen when Christians are filled with the Spirit. And most non-charismatics believe that this passage is descriptive and that the gifts were used to authenticate new revelation. The scripture is unclear. I mean, there are, there are genuine Christians who love God with all their heart, who believe both ways, uh, who believe that this is prescriptive, that every time people are filled with the Spirit, they speak in tongues. Uh, or that this is just descriptive and that this happened to be a sign to the people at the time that God was doing something, that he was up to something, that there was something new going on. Uh, totally fine either way. Um, there are other scriptures we could bring in. Uh, there are genuinely good folks on both sides of that discussion and I would encourage them to talk to each other, to hear the scriptures in, in favor of either view, uh, or to talk about how the scriptures we all know play into either view. I'm going to quote Constable again. It is understandable why God-fearing Jews, whom the apostles asked to accept new truth in addition to their already authenticated Old Testament, would have required a sign. They would have wanted strong proof that God was now giving new revelation that seemed on the surface to contradict their scriptures, end quote. So it's not entirely unreasonable for the passage to be descriptive of what happened at this particular time without being prescriptive for what should happen for all Christians at all times. I'll note two more things about this before I move on. First, the gift of tongues is a gift of speaking and not a gift of hearing. The speaker speaks in a language he or she has not studied. Second, the apostles did nothing to earn this gift. They didn't lay hands on each other to receive it. They didn't sing 34 worship songs in a minor key to properly align their heart with the will of God. They simply did what Jesus told them to do and the promise was delivered. They just went to the upper room and prayed and asked God for his promise and waited. That's all they did. We don't have to set ourselves up emotionally to receive from God. But we do have to obey what he tells us to do when he tells us to do it. Now, let's talk about the onlookers' reactions for a moment because their reaction must have been priceless. There are some videos I want to see when I get to glory, and this is one of them. I want to see the people from all over the map as they realize that this group of uneducated nobodies is speaking in a variety of languages that they couldn't have studied. Uh, Richard Longenecker, quote, 
Galileans had difficulty pronouncing gutturals and had the habit of swallowing syllables when speaking. So they were looked down upon by the people of Jerusalem as being provincial. See also Mark 14, verse 70. Therefore, since the disciples who were speaking were Galileans, it bewildered those who heard because the disciples could not by themselves have learned so many different languages, end quote. Luke takes great pains to record that these people came from everywhere, and they were both Jews and proselytes, Gentiles who had adopted Judaism. The cross-section of society was broad, and that makes the miracle even more noteworthy. So, what's their conclusion? <laughs> well, their conclusion is that these folks are under the control of wine. It has to be explainable by natural causes, and the most likely natural cause is that they're drunk. Don't we do that? We see that something's happening, but it couldn't possibly be God, so we try to find some sort of natural explanation. We don't even ask if it might be possible to have a supernatural explanation because the ethos of our culture is that there is no supernatural. Everything is explainable by natural causes. So on our own, we try to come up with some sort of plausible explanation, takes God right out of it. It's not unlike what they did. They've got to be drunk. There's no other way. Yeah, sure, because every time people get drunk, they start speaking in languages they hadn't studied. Like, sign me up, folks. Sign me up. Come on, that's just silly. But when you're grasping at straws, well, you grasp. Here's the takeaway. You and I are supernatural beings. And we are made for supernatural things. So we have to be open for the supernatural to intersect with the natural. Now that doesn't mean that everything that happens is supernatural. This leaf that's falling, Jesus, is that you trying to tell me something? No, not everything is supernatural. But some things are. And we should be open to that possibility because we are supernatural. Coming up, Peter's defense against the charge of drunkenness. That's for the next episode. And then he talks openly about Jesus like you and I should. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.